an honor and a privilege that I don't take lightly. We've been in a series titled Healings That Jesus Does. I love the name of the series. It's uh, my namesake, actually. My name is Raphael in actuality. It's not just Ralph. And it means, it means God heals. That is awesome. It is also a part of the very definition of what the gospel of Jesus Christ is. And as Pastor Josh likes to say and ask, what is the gospel? It literally means the good news. But the good news of what? The story of the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We speak of it constantly because it is incredibly important for you to understand your role, especially our young brothers and sisters that are here. It is especially important that you understand your role in your life given to you by the one true living God with a specific purpose in this world that you might know that your life makes a difference in Christ Jesus. I had the privilege of going to a week-long summer camp with some of our young men and ladies at this particular church and with several other churches. And for those parents who allowed their children to go, first of all, I want to thank you for entrusting us with them so that we could yell at them for a change. And second of all, I want to tell you that you have great and beautiful children. They pay me for that. Parents, when we have these types of events, I strongly encourage you to have your children participate. It will not only be a vacation and a life-changing event for your children, but also for you as well. We all know that times of intimacy are not always possible when the kids are running around. My wife and I, we'd have our nieces and nephews over on long weekends and summer vacations, so we had a little bit of practice with this, kids barging in. A little scary. We had to end up getting this flip sign pillow. On one side it said tonight, on the other side it said not tonight. We figured, hey, if they can't read, man, they enter at their own peril. So summer camp. It became a place for the youth to shed and embrace this thing I'll call B.O.B., and I'll explain that later on. It was a great experience for, for many that, that went some major decisions were made there. We had several who accepted a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We had some who decided that they recommit their lives to Jesus Christ. And we had some who even said they wanted to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. And some of those are sitting right here within your midst. Hallelujah. So just think about that impact that it could have on your children the next time an event like this is announced. 
But anyway, I had the opportunity to be used as a vessel or an instrument of God, if you will, to get some of these young men on the narrow path. And one of these young men, he told me that his school counselor had said to him he's going to advise his parents that he should go and see a psychologist. Because young men looked at me and he was like telling me these things such as, you know, I'm afraid, I don't feel loved. I'm thinking of committing suicide even. I really do think I'm crazy, he said. He said that people laughed at him, adults. Because in the secular world, for non-Christians, there is no thought of heaven and hell. And sometimes even those who profess to be Christians and don't read the Bible or know what is in it, they seem to forget the power of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'll come back to this young man here that I was talking to. But I just want to talk a little bit to those men and women who don't necessarily have a strong relationship with Jesus Christ. Romans 1, 21 through 25 says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in their lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who was blessed. Amen. I implore you who are kind of on the fence, who don't really have that close relationship with Jesus Christ to delve into the word a little bit. Maybe talk to some brothers and sisters that might help you on your walk. Because there is a devil. And there are demons that roam the earth. And once you give them a foothold on your life, life's going to get really complicated really fast. Now back to this young man at camp and the B.O.B. situation. I named it the B.O.B. situation, the big old booger fest, I call it. You see, I could see that this man was hurting, this young man, he was hurting. He was in tears. And as he told me of his situation, I prayed for him. And I told him Jesus loves him. And that Jesus will heal him. And that, after all, one of his names was Yahweh Rapha, which, like I said, means God heals. And he was broken as he dug his face into my chest and cried out to God for what seemed like an eternity. And I felt kind of bad because I was like, you know, he was, it was hot, it was humid, and I could feel like this soupy slime forming on my shirt. But after I finished praying for him and he pulled away, there was snot bubbles and there was booger bridges between his head and my shirt. But it was awesome. It was awesome because he had a big old smile on his face. 
And he told me it's better now. Men couldn't help this young man feel better, but God could. The prayer of Jesus Christ could. Christ Jesus heals all. All who are in pain. Amen? And really, you know, there's, there's times where I get together with some brothers and they're like, you know, God told me this and God told me that. And I'm like, really? Because I've been like talking to Jesus and praying to Jesus for the past 31 years, but he's never actually audibly said anything to me. I'm not going to take away anything from anybody that, you know, says that they've had that happen to them, but I've never had that experience. But I do recommend that you read the Bible. There's 66 love letters in there for you that God had written for you, specifically for you. And you should read it on a daily basis. Now, Christians and non-Christians alike sometimes, they'll say things like, you know, Jesus, you know, he, he was a nice, noble, moral, trustworthy, compassionate, wise teacher and leader. The great author C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, said, and I quote, I am here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus is a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of the man who says he is a poached egg or else he'd be the devil of hell himself. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or is a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you could fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to either. Lewis was basically saying these descriptors of Jesus were not a possible consideration. He could not be a nice, noble, moral, trustworthy, compassionate, wise teacher and leader, especially since he claimed to be God. Sensible people don't want you to think that they are God. And so you could only make one of three conclusions. Either he was a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. And even the scribes, some of which were Pharisees, religious leaders at the time, if you will, felt that way. They, they treated Jesus, God incarnate, with complete and total disdain and disregard. They should have known better. They were the teachers of the word of God. But they preferred the praise of men rather than the praise of God. They hated Jesus just because he was healing on the Sabbath. And of course he said he was God. And turn with me, if you will, to Mark chapter 3, verses 20 to 27, and read along with me.
Mark chapter 3, verses 20 through 27. Then he went home, and the crowd gathered again, so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he's out of his mind. His own family was saying he was nuts. Jesus' own family. Not his mother. His mother had written that Magnificat, so she knew who he was. She called him Lord. And you see that in Luke 1, if you have a chance to look that up. And when his family heard, they, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he's out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he is possessed by Beelzebul, and by the prince of demons he casts out the demons. And he called them to him, and he said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then, indeed, he may plunder the house. These verses were from C. Uh, maybe where C.S. Lewis had gotten the uh, thought that Jesus was either a liar, lunatic, or Lord. Verse 20, 21, that's where his family says he might be nuts. Jesus' brothers, they couldn't have been too happy to constantly be hearing things like, why aren't you more like Jesus? It couldn't have been easy to be Jesus' brother. That's all I can say. The scribes, they insinuate he's a liar in verse 22 by actually lying about who gives him the power to cast out demons. And in verse 27, Jesus is saying basically he is Lord because only the Lord can bind Satan, the strong man, and plunder his house. And what would he plunder his house of? the lives and souls that belong to Jesus, of course. Now, we know that Jesus could not be a lunatic because lunatics do not heal the sick or raise the dead or remove demons from people. They do not give sight to the blind. They do not make the lame walk. The lame that couldn't walk didn't need therapy either. They just got up and walked. Jesus says, walk, okay. They walk. There were also very intelligent Pharisees that followed Jesus, as we know. Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea were followers of Jesus. And there may have been others that just aren't mentioned in the Bible just yet. We also know that Jesus could not be a liar because it would have been easy for his brothers to snitch on him, right? The scribes were upset with him because, like I said, he healed on the Sabbath. And he told the paralytic, your sins are forgiven. If Jesus were a fraud and had hidden his sins, well, basically, he couldn't be able to do that because he'd definitely get caught. He always had eyes on him. 
the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're written that we might believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that by believing we might live life to the fullest while on earth and that when we die, we may live in the kingdom of God and not suffer in hell eternally. Up in verse 6 in that same chapter 3, the Pharisees, they were plotting to kill and destroy Jesus. They were trying to spread the rumor that Jesus was possessed by Satan or Beelzebul, the prince of the demons. That was a play on that word Beelzebub, which was the god of the Ekronites in 2 Kings chapter 1. It means the Lord of the Most High. But they changed the name to Beelzebul because when they changed it, it means the Lord of the animal dung, the Lord of the flies that collect on the dung. And so the scribes, they were constantly trying to spread lies about Jesus, which goes against the very laws that they were preaching. And Jesus, man, I could just see him as these uh, scribes would come and say, oh yeah, he's, he's, from, he's from Beelzebul. I could just see Jesus looking at him saying, come here. Come here. I want you to stand right here. Let me tell you something. You weeny, whiny weasels. You know, because they were hypocrites. They were hypocrites. And so he tells them, how could Satan cast out Satan? Does that even make sense? You guys are supposed to be all smart and what have you. Look at the dumb things you're saying. And if a house is divided against itself, the house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand but it's coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man and then indeed he may plunder his house. Jesus was basically telling them he was not Satan. Though Satan may seem strong to some, he's nothing to Jesus. Jesus is basically saying he's going to get those lives and souls back that belong to him. And then it's over for the enemy because Jesus runs the show. He is the warrior, the warrior God, as it is spoken of in Exodus 15, 3. And he can take out the strong man, the so-called strong man, Now let's go to Mark chapter 5 and and see Jesus in action. Because I don't like how Jesus sometimes is portrayed as a very soft, mild-mannered, long, blonde-haired, blue-eyed type of dude who looked like he just got his hair done at the local beauty salon. It just doesn't make sense. That's not my Jesus. And it's not yours either. Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. 
He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him, not even with a chain. For he had often been around bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him, night and day among the tombs and on the mountains. He was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him and crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you, do not torment me. It always gets me that the demons seem to know who Jesus is. And yet, we get people who always question, I wonder if Jesus is God. For he was saying, come out of this man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged them earnestly not to send them out of the country. A legion in the Roman army would be approximately 6,000 troops. Now, I'm not saying that he had that many demons within him, but he had a lot. And this spokesman demon was petrified of Jesus. You've got nothing to be afraid of when you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You understand? Amen. And he begged them earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs were feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him saying, send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave him permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. I always question that. Why would they be afraid? The evil one, the enemy of our souls, had him running around butt naked. Now he was clothed. Now he had his right mind about him. Now he was sitting at the foot of Jesus, listening to Jesus preach. And they were scared. The countrymen were scared. They began to beg Jesus to depart from the region. And isn't that like some people that you might know? You might be sitting with some buddies, right? And they know you're a Christian, man. And they'll look at you and they'll look at you and say stuff like, you know, uh, you know, we would have a beer, but you're here. Hey, even Jesus drank wine. But, you know, they get afraid to say things and do certain things and they feel like, you know, you might prejudge them not realizing that we're just like they are, sinners. And that we're forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ that he bled for us on that cross. But notice that the cross is empty. He is not there anymore. He is risen. 
Anyway, and as Jesus was getting to the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with them. And Jesus did not permit him, but said, Go, go home to tell your friends how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Sometimes I think of these things and I say to myself, my goodness, what my God has done for me has made it so I've got no choice but to tell my brothers and sisters and family members and friends about Jesus. I've got no choice. He's healed me. Jesus heals. Yahweh Rapha. And you'll never be the same once you come to Christ. You'll never be the same. Your family life will be that much better. Your sex life, that much better. Me and my wife are up there in age, but we're good. (laughs) Sorry, honey. (laughs) Because you can't sit there and watch a sporting event without the little blue pill or Cialis coming up commercials. You know, they happen. And so he says, you know, go home and tell your friends how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and he began to proclaim how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Everyone marveled. What I love about this story is that it shows how much control Jesus has over the spiritual realm. It was just Jesus Versus the legion. The so-called strong man was nothing for Jesus. The legion of demons, somewhere in the vicinity of 6,000 demons within that man. They had nothing on Jesus. Jesus, It was just one, one God. One God. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And I'm sorry if you've got a belief in some other God and what have you, but I'd rather you know the truth and that you be saved. Two thousand pigs went down a hill filled with demons and they killed themselves. And I asked myself, why would they ask to be put in those pigs so that they could run down a hill and kill themselves? And the only thing, the only conclusion I could come to is that, you know, this is Satan. Makes no sense. He is the king of chaos His name, Diabolos, in the Greek means, in the Latin, means liar. He is the father of all lies. That's all he is, is a liar. He didn't want to go into those pigs because, oh, you know, he'll live in those and possess those animals. No, he just wanted to destroy. John 10.10 says, for God says that the enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy you. But Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and that you might live it to the fullest. And that's what Jesus wants, that you might live life to the fullest. 
Ultimately, God wins. Ultimately, Satan loses. The end of the story has already been written. How do you live? Do you live knowing that when all is said and done, Jesus won? And that if you're in Christ, you too have won. And like I said, the demons, man, they, they recognize Jesus right away. They call him the son of the most high God. They know the name of Jesus. It's like the seven sons of Sceva, you know. They go and they try to remove some demon from some dude. And they're like, you know, Paul we know, Jesus we know. But you, we don't know. And they beat the heck out of them. They get their butts beat by the demons. But when you've got Jesus on your side, you are the majority. You are going to win once all is said and done. I still don't get this whole thing of the Greeks wanting Jesus, uh, the Greeks from the Decapolis wanting Jesus to leave. It still puzzles me. But it puzzles me when I sit with friends and family. And a lot of them know what I was like once upon a time. But Jesus has changed my heart. And I'm not the same man that I once was. The old is gone, the new has come. And I got friends and family that'll look at me like, yeah, that's, that's nice for you. They'll do the old pat in the back. That's cute. I also tell them, I'm not that changed. Don't pat me in the back. <laughs> Jesus is still working in me. And he's still working in each and every one of us. He ain't done yet. The end is still yet to be written for you, for all of us. It's an awesome story. I invite any of you that don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior to give your heart to him. Allow our young brothers and sisters to pray for you. It was so wild. We had the outreach that we did last week, and I had some young youth praying for broke men and women, victims of prostitution, drug abuse, alcohol abuse, pornography. I am proud of them. Like I said, some of them are sitting here. That's the future. Those are our future warriors, prayer warriors. We've got the guts to stand up, stand out, and say, count me in. Because if the adults of today won't do it, then they will. And it's an honor to be around folks like that. I love them for that. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the peace, joy, love, sanity, and calm 
and the spiritual healing that you give us. We thank you, Lord, that we've been delivered from the power of Satan. Thank you for delivering us. Thank you for forgiving us for our sins so that we may live not by our own strength but by his power. Thank you for your grace that reaches down to us all sinners. No matter how wretched the sinner we might be, O oh Lord, you still love us. You still offer us forgiveness. You offer forgiveness for all repentant hearts. Only Jesus, only you desire to save a horrendous person. We thank you, Lord, for your transformation which has occurred in our lives that has set us free. May we rejoice in your mighty work and may we give you all the praise in all you do for us and through us. And may we love you more than we love sin in Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.